This morning I'd like to continue on with the series that I've been preaching about Elijah and taking a stand. And again, I don't want to go through and rehash everything that we've talked about up to this point uh, other than to lay a little bit of groundwork. So in case you missed some of those sermons, you'll uh, at least halfway know um, where we're going. It'd be like if I don't do this, uh, it'd be like picking up a movie three quarters of the way through and you're like, I don't really understand what he's talking about. But um, early on, I mentioned that Elijah is one of the, uh, when Elijah goes up against Ahab and the prophets of Baal, and you're probably very familiar with that, that is uh, one of the greatest stands for the truth and for the Lord that uh, stands out to me in the Bible. But the Bible gives us um, some, some things that happened to Elijah before this even comes to pass. And as I studied through that, I saw in a, a neat kind of way that the Lord was preparing Elijah for some things that were going to happen in his life, specifically this incredible stand that he takes when Elijah is clueless of what is to come, uh, but the Lord is laying some groundwork. And what you'll find, I've kind of described it this way, that uh, some of the experiences that Elijah has that the Lord and the way the Lord deals with him, he's learning some things. And I kind of equated it to uh, putting some tools in a tool bag that he can use later what you'll find out is that Elijah, um, when it comes time to go into the tool bag, that he really doesn't do that. He's got the tools and he's got the tool, tool bag, but he just doesn't go back and draw out of that bag to help him through some things. Because what is interesting, and I've had a few conversations about these series with some other people, what's interesting is that it's not so much the taking the stand when Elijah needed those tools. It was the aftermath of taking that stand is when he needed, that, needed them because you'll find maybe in the weeks to come, we'll see that Elijah went from being very bold and doing, uh, doing an incredible job of standing for the Lord. And he, he goes from that high to a very low point where he's very fearful and very afraid. And that's the moments that he needed to go back into that tool bag and start, to dr start drawing some of these things out. But he doesn't. But it's interesting that we'll see on down the road that even though the Lord has equipped him and he's not using the equipment that the Lord gave him, the Lord still continues to give him the tools he needs to make it through those rough patches. And, and I can relate to that a lot. Have you ever, in a positive way, I guess I would say, have you ever taken some sort of stand on something, tried to stand up for what is true and right, and you just felt bold and you felt, you know, like the Lord was with you? And then maybe a day later you thought, what have I done? Have y'all ever felt that way? I mean, this is not an Elijah experience. Don't, don't misunderstand me. But in a small type of way, several months ago, I'm part of a group that has to, you know, work together and handle different types of things. And I'm relatively new to the group. And so it's kind of like being on a board, I guess you would say. And I became a part of this board. And so they added me to this, you know, group text where there's eight or 10 people on there. And, it, you know, there's always something to handle and this, that, and the other. Well, it didn't take long that I realized that a lot of the conversation across this text was uh, it, it would it very quickly would go down a, a very crude route very crude talk very crude manner of jokes and and you know I've got to be in the group because I've got responsibilities and I've got to handle that but it was 
It was just a lot like being in junior high in a locker room, if I could be that blunt. And, well, it wasn't too long that they started pulling me into that, you know. And it just kind of grieved my spirit. I felt a little bit like uh, Paul when he was at Athens, you know, just to see, to see this. And that's just not the circle that I'm in, and that's not what I'm uh, around anymore. And it just kind of bothered me. It's like, you know, I don't, you know, don't want to do this. I know this, this type of conversation is not pleasing to the Lord. And I finally just had a bait of it, and I just sent on, you know, I never commented at all. And I finally just sent a comment out, and I said, hey, this is not my style. Y'all leave me out of all this. You know, I'll handle the stuff I'm supposed to handle, but when y'all go down this road, I want no part of it. I felt bold in doing that. till about 30 seconds after I hit send. And then I thought, what have I done? I'm the new kid on the block, and I just, in a, kind of a, in, in a weird kind of way, I just kind of maybe reprimanded them, like, hey, I don't want to be a part of this. And well, all of a sudden, I go from big Luke to little Luke. And then you start, oh, what have I done? And, and, and there's a sense of fear that rolls in on us after we have taken a stand. Now, I'll leave this for the kids. It took about five minutes, and my phone started ringing with some of those people from that group. And I was thinking, oh, no, they're fixing to eat me alive. But it wasn't that way. It was a thank you. It was, I respect you more now than I did, okay? So that's just a little something for you kids. When you take a stand like that, uh, you might realize that there are some people that need somebody to do that, and you will find you get more respect from taking a stand from a lot of people than you'll ever get if you don't, okay? So you can use that little lesson. That's something the Lord taught Elijah. But I understand what Elijah goes through because that's not the only time I've stood up and said something like, hey, this, this, this is not right. We don't need to do this. And then the next day I wake up and think, oh my goodness, what have I done? I should have just stayed quiet, let them self-destruct, not, not, not get involved. Because fear comes in on us when we take a stand and you'll find that that's exactly what Elijah deals with. Even though the Lord has given him this great tool bag and has equipped him with all of these things, he, and, and it's interesting that that's not uncommon just for Elijah and myself. Uh, do you remember David slays Goliath, right? David slays Goliath, a, a, a mighty deliverance for Israel. And then very shortly after that, he's running like a dog with his tail between his legs from King Saul. He goes from being very bold and courageous to being a scaredy cat. And that's the roller coaster that we experience. So I see a lot of mercy in what the Lord, how the Lord deals with Elijah up to the big challenge that he has and the big standoff that he has with Ahab and the Lord knowing how our emotions are going to get the best of us and he's going to get very fearful. So it's a very merciful thing in the way he deals with Elijah. So the two things that, that Elijah has got in his tool bag, the two main things, main things is one from the sermon I preached called Remember the Ravens is that in the midst of uh, the world hunting you, I guess I should say, the, of the world being against you, angry with you for taking a stand, that the Lord has a way of hiding his people and the Lord has a way of providing for his people. And that's from Remember the Ravens. The second sermon was Remember the Widow. And what lesson that Elijah learned from that is that 
there's a funny kind of way of how we sustain each other. You may think I'm the one that needs to be sustained. I'm the one who needs the support right now. All the while, there are so many others that need the support and they'll get their support once you take a stand. So we're all connected. So Elijah can take that and say, hey, if I stand up, I don't necessarily know who all this is going to strengthen, but somebody is going to be strengthened, even though I don't realize it right now by the stance that I'm taking. Now, I want to go into, we can call it the third lesson here that we'll read about in 1 Kings, the 18th chapter. We're half a chapter away from his great stand. I would title this one, Don't Overlook Obadiah. we got Remember the Ravens, Remember the Widow, Don't Overlook Obadiah. And of all the lessons that Elijah is about, is going to learn from the Lord, I think this one is the most important. I think this is the one that he needs the most. But again... When, he, when time goes by, when Elijah needs it, it's, have you ever needed a tool? Like I, there, There's been times that I was like, man, I could use a drill right now. There's, I, there's nothing else I need right now but a drill. This is the tool I need. Nothing else will work. Elijah needs a tool, and it's in his tool bag. He just doesn't go get it. Now, what would you think of me if I'm like, man, I really, really, really need a drill, but I guess this coat hanger is going to have to work. And you're like, Luke, there's a drill right there in your tool bag. Pick it up. That's kind of what Elijah does. This is probably the most valuable tool that he will need that he really never picks up. And we'll start reading in verse 18. In verse 1, and it says, And it came to pass after many days. All right, let me stop you there. I can't, I can't read the Bible for talking. You need to remember when we get to this point that Elijah has gone to Ahab, and he tells Ahab, that it's not going to rain unless I tell it to rain. He says, it's not going to rain unless by my word. Now, he doesn't give him a timeline. He doesn't say how long it's going to rain. It's going to be a drought. But we know um, from the scriptures here that later we realize it's a little over three years. Well, Ahab doesn't know that. I don't know that Elijah knows that necessarily. What kind of time frame it's going to be because the Lord is commanding Elijah to tell these things to Ahab. And we'll see later on that the Lord comes to Elijah and says, all right, now you can go tell him it's going to rain. So for a period of time here, it has been, there has been no rain. It's been a drought. There's been great suffering. We see that with the widow in the previous chapter, right? We see that with the widow. The drought was so severe that she was fixing to start her and her son were about to starve to death because the drought was so severe. Now, it's coming very, very close to the end of this three or three and a half years that the Lord is going to send Elijah back to Ahab. And so it says, And it came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go show thyself unto Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. Now, if you want to compare, you know, on this side of, of what we've talked about so far, you've got a very bold Elijah. Compare this to Jonah. What, what happened when the Lord said, Hey, I want you to go into Nineveh? What did Jonah do? He took off the other way. He says, I'm not going to Nineveh. Nineveh's a wicked city. If I go in there preaching to them or I show myself as one of God's servants, they're going to kill me. I'm not going to Nineveh. Well, Elijah knows the situation with Ahab. Ahab at this point is furious. Why would Ahab be furious? Because he is attributing the drought to Elijah. And in a point, rightly so. 
Elijah is just God's servant, but he's angry with Elijah. He's hunted Elijah. He's tried to find him. He's tried to kill him because he's angry with him because the society that Ahab rules over is suffering. And you'll see in just a minute, the city of Samaria, which was the metropolis of Ahab's kingdom, you'll see that the Bible says it was in a sore famine. Not, I mean, it was, it, it was hit the hardest, I guess you would say, at the heart of where Ahab was. But the Lord says, Elijah, go show yourself to Ahab. Go show yourself to this man that wants to kill you, that's angry with you, that as soon as you, he sees you, he's probably going to swing at you with a sword. And Elijah's like, okay, I'll go. Much different than what Jonah was. <clears throat> Very bold here. And Elijah went to show himself unto Ahab, and there was a sore famine in Samaria. And Ahab called Obadiah, which was the governor of his house. And then it makes a point here in the Scripture to say, Now Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. For it was so when Jezebel, Ahab's wife, cut off the prophets of the Lord, that Obadiah took a hundred prophets and hid them by fifty in a cave and fed them with bread and water. So Ahab's a bad guy. Jezebel is a super bad woman. Okay, she is terrible. She is wicked, evil. When the drought comes and when there is no rain and when the struggles begin to pop up and they're angry with Elijah, Jezebel starts taking the prophets of the Lord and killing them. You say, why would, why would she do that? We don't know for sure, but my guess is would be to flush Elijah out. To try to say, hey, Elijah, I'm going to stand here and I'm going to kill a prophet a day until you come back and you talk to us and you end this drought over our land. That, that would be my speculation. Because look, we may give our own lives quickly, but it's hard to give the lives of other people for us, right? And so in my mind, she's trying to flush Elijah out of, of his hiding because we know he's hiding because the Lord sent him to hide. But there's a man named Obadiah who is the governor of the land. And when he sees that Jezebel is killing prophet by prophet by prophet to try to possibly flush Elijah out of where he's at, he begins to hide them. He takes a hundred of them. He puts 50 in one cave and 50 in another cave. And he goes and gives them bread and water. That is, that's a big undertaking. Like we, we, have, uh, we have lunch, what, twice a month here? Where maybe there's... 75 or 100 people and we, we've got to get our stuff together and make sure we got drinks and make sure the ice machine's working and make sure that everybody you know everybody's bringing food and he's like oh what a chore we got lunch at sunday uh, uh lunch on sunday today he daily maybe twice a day took bread and water with i'm sure some help to feed a hundred prophets that were hiding in caves this is a major undertaking and it says, Ahab said to Obadiah, go into the land unto all fountains of water, unto all brooks, peradventure or by chance, we may find grass to save the horses and mules alive that we lose not all the beasts. All right, they're losing their animals, their horses, their beasts, their oxen, things that they use to survive with. The grass is so, um, has all dried up and died. He's like, Obadiah, you've got to go find us some sort of green grass so we don't lose every beast that we've got. And it says, so they divided the land between them to pass the route. And Ahab went one way by himself, and Obadiah went another way by himself. And as Obadiah was in the way, behold, Elijah met him, and he knew him, and fell on his face and said, Are thou that my lord Elijah? And he answered him, I am. Go tell thy lord, behold, Elijah is here. 
And he said, What have I sinned that thou wouldest deliver thy servant into the hand of Ahab to slay me? Notice what he says right here. As the Lord thy God liveth, there is no nation or kingdom whither my Lord Ahab hath not sent to seek thee. He's hunting you, Elijah. And there is not a nation or a kingdom that he hasn't gone into to try to find you. And it says, And when they said he is not here, he took an oath of the kingdom and nation that they found thee not. So Ahab sends people into all these kingdoms and all these nations saying we are on a manhunt for Elijah because we are holding him responsible for the suffering that we're dealing with. And if that kingdom said he's not here, he made them take an oath, says, listen, I need something in writing that he's not here because if it turns out he is here and you lied to us, we're going to come destroy you. He's serious about finding Elijah. And Obadiah says to him, he says, when Elijah tells Obadiah, go back to Ahab and tell him that Elijah is here. This is what Obadiah says. It shall come to pass as soon as I'm gone from thee that the spirit of the Lord shall carry thee whither I know not. And so when I come and tell Ahab and he cannot find thee, he shall slay me. He's saying, look, if you... All right, Elijah, you're telling me to go back to this man who has turned this nation upside down looking for you to just go back and say, hey, Ahab, guess what? Good news, I found Elijah. And he says, well, where is he? Well, he's down the road a ways. Well, take me to him. And he says, if I go and show up right here, if you tell me you're going to sit by that tree till we get back and I get back and you're not by that tree, I'm a dead man. That's how serious Ahab is about finding you. And he says, But I thy servant, this is Obadiah talking, I thy servant fear the Lord from my youth. Was it not told my Lord what I did when Jezebel slew the prophets of the Lord, how I hid a hundred men of the Lord's prophets by fifty in a cave and fed them with bread and water? And now thou sayest, Go tell thy Lord, behold, Elijah is here. And he slayed me. Oh, but I was like, I don't want to do this. I don't trust you enough, Elijah, to sit here and wait on Ahab and myself to get back. And Elijah said, as the Lord of hosts liveth before whom I stand. You remember that little phrase? Do you remember we spent a whole sermon, the very first sermon that I preached on this series, when Elijah goes to Ahab, what does he say? As the Lord God liveth before whom I stand. I preached a whole sermon on it. He says the same thing to Obadiah. He says, before whom I stand, meaning it is no big deal for me to go stand before Ahab. I'm not afraid of him. I'm not afraid to stand before the kings of this world because I stand before God on a daily basis. So it's a small thing to go stand before this wicked king of yours. As the Lord God of hosts liveth before whom I stand, I will surely show myself unto him today. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. Now, it's probably been three years or a little more since Ahab has even seen Elijah. We can change a lot in three years. Some of us can. I see some people that uh, they don't change a whole lot in three years. You see some people, you're like, I didn't even recognize you. Elijah has been hiding in the wilderness for three years. He's been living with a widow uh, for, in Zarepta for, for, uh, for a long time. He's changed. He's changed so much that Ahab doesn't recognize him. 
So when they meet each other, it says, And it came to pass when Ahab saw Elijah, that Ahab said unto him, Are thou he that troubleth Israel? See, he didn't fully recognize him. He's like, Oh, there you are, you rotten scum. He didn't say that. He's like, Are you Elijah? Because, I mean, you got the beard and this, you look different. He said, are you, are you the one that's troubling Israel? And I love this line right here. You talk about boldness, okay? This is bold, Elijah. He answered, I've not troubled Israel, but thou and thy father's house, and that ye forsook, you have for, that ye have forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and thou hast followed Balaam. You see, the uh, three and a half years have gone by. The kingdom of Ahab has suffered. He finally finds Elijah and he's fixing to let him have it. I can't believe that you've done this. I can't believe that you brought this drought on us. I can't believe that I'm out here as the king having to walk through the land to try to find some water where there's some green grass. I cannot believe you've done this to us. And what does Elijah tell him? I hadn't done this to you. You did this to you. Now that's something we don't want to hear. That's like what Nathan told David when David took Bathsheba and Nathan the prophet goes to him and he tells him this cute little story about a lamb and David's all up in an uproar. He's like, well, whoever did that to that little lamb needs to die. And Nathan says, that's you. You're the problem. And if more of God's people would understand verse 18 and quit blaming a lot of their problems on everything else and realize they're the source of the problems... We'd be a lot better off. Some of our lives would be much better off. But that's the problem is we can't see how we contribute to the situation that we're currently in. It's always somebody else's fault. That's the sin nature that lies within us. When you think about in the Garden of Eden, what happened when Adam and Eve have taken of the fruit of the tree, the knowledge of good and evil, and they go hide in the garden and then the Lord comes to them. What is the first thing that Adam does? Her fault. What's the first thing that Eve does? Serpent's fault. Our sin nature does not want us to take ownership of the decisions that we make that put us in the situations that we do not like. No different than what they have. He says, hey, ain't none of this our fault. It ain't, and it's not the king's fault. It's Elijah's fault. And Elijah says, I don't think so. It's your fault. And it's the generations that came before you's fault because you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord. This is the lesson that I want us to get from this. Now, again, understand, we're dealing with bold Elijah. And so these lessons don't mean that much to him right now. But post taking the big stand, they should mean a lot to him. Because what you will find is the Elijah's look. We, and again, I've told you this before. Post the big stand, the big, the big showdown with Ahab that we'll probably get to next time. After the big showdown with, with Ahab, his biggest thing was loneliness. I am all alone. I'm the only one around here that cares anything about God. I'm the only one that will take a stand for God. It's just me. And he's, he's so overcome with that, he asked the Lord to kill him. He is suicidal. Now, that's a different Elijah than what we're dealing with right now. But when Elijah is in that point, he needs to pull out the tool bag. But he doesn't. But the Lord is about to give or is giving him one of the greatest tools that he will need. And it is this. Just because you do not know about or see godly people 
out there does not mean that they are not there. Here is Ahab and his wicked wife Jezebel and right under their nose is somebody that they appointed to be governor whose name is Obadiah, who is a godly man, so godly that he is hiding the prophets that his boss is trying to kill. That is, that's a boldness right there. Now, isn't it, it's not funny, but you know, for the lack of a better term, isn't it funny how God has a way of doing that? Isn't it funny how God has a way of promoting his people to be right up under the noses of the people that are actually against them? Do you remember Daniel? Do you remember Daniel? He at one point, Daniel, he's he's been taken captive, right? Daniel's been taken captive from Babylon. He's been put down here to be trained up for whatever uh, the Babylonians wanted them to be. And Daniel comes up through the ranks and the Lord puts him right up under the nose of the wicked king as second in command. What about Joseph? Do you remember Joseph in the land of Egypt? Joseph goes from being uh, a prisoner being falsely accused of trying to, um, you know, fool around with, with Potiphar's wife. And the Lord takes a man out of prison and puts him second in command in all the land of Egypt. Up, right up under a king that cared nothing for the Lord. Daniel was right up under a king that cared nothing for the Lord. And Obadiah has been placed right up under the nose of a king and queen who care. Not only do they not care anything about the Lord, they're trying to kill the Lord's people. Don't ever underestimate that the Lord has a way of bringing his people into the positions that need, they need to be in. Don't, don't ever forget that. And so Obadiah has been placed right under the nose of Ahab and Jezebel. Now, what should Elijah take out of that? Elijah is not lonely right now. Elijah is not afraid right now. Elijah's so bold, he said, take me to him. Take me to Ahab. You think I care that he's hunting me? You think I care that he's got a death wish and death worn out for me? Do you think I care about that? I stand before God every day. I'm not afraid to stand before Ahab. You see, Elijah's not afraid right now. Elijah's bold right now. Elijah says, I, I'm not the problem, Ahab. You're the problem. That's, that's big, bold Elijah. And so he probably, probably never crosses his mind that, wow, I never in a million years would have thought that the governor of Ahab's kingdom would have been such a godly man. It never crossed my mind that the governor of Ahab's kingdom would be so bold that he would put his life on the line to go and hide the prophets of the Lord. He probably thought, well, that's, that's good. That's awesome. That's, 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 I'm glad there's some people out there. But it probably didn't impact him like it would have later if he'd have pulled it out of the tool bag. But that's the lesson. It's just because we don't see that there's godly people out there just because we don't know of somebody that's going to jump up beside us and be like, I'm with him while he takes his godly stand. It does not mean that they're not there because one of the things that we fear the most is loneliness. You know, I think I said here, I don't know where I said it somewhere. Public speaking is one of the biggest fears for people. And I think one of the reasons that public speaking is so fearful for people is because they don't want, like I'm alone up here. There's nobody, you don't have anybody else to look at up here but me. 
And in a sense, I'm isolated. All eyes are here. All eyes are on me. I'm alone up here, in a sense. And people don't like that. People don't want to be isolated, and they don't want to stand out, and they don't want to be the only one. Now, there are people that would probably fight me tooth and claw if I, had to, if I tried to get them to come up here and stand by themselves and spend two minutes saying something. But they probably would come up here if I had 30 other people up here because they would just kind of blend in and they wouldn't be standing up here alone. But that's what we fear. We fear being alone. And that's the same thing that Elijah struggles with. And the Lord knows that. And the Lord is teaching Elijah Elijah, you can't see this yet. You don't know how this next big event is going to play out. You don't know, Elijah, about the two altars. You don't know about pouring the water on your altar. You don't know about fire coming down from heaven and devouring uh, the, the sacrifice. You don't know about the prophets of Baal that are going to get so sincere with what they're doing, they're going to cut themselves as they call out to Baal to come down and ignite their fire. You don't know about all that, Elijah, but I know about it. You don't know, Elijah, that you're going to stand there by yourself and carry that out for my name's sake. You do not know that 850 prophets, 400 prophets of Baal, 450 prophets of the grove, you don't know that they're going to be slain for their wickedness. You don't know that. You don't know that Jezebel is going to get so mad at you for what you do that she's going to start to hunt you, which shouldn't be anything new. He's been hunted for three and a half years. You don't know all this is about to happen and you don't know how lonely you're going to feel. You don't know that out of your very mouth are going to come the words, I, only I, am left. You need to remember, Elijah, you, need to, you don't need to overlook Obadiah. If I can raise up somebody, what about Esther? What about Esther? She was raised up and put as, as, as the queen of the king who was going to kill the Jews. God can put his people in the right place at the right time. When you're that low, Elijah, and when you start to roll off of your tongue, I only I am left, you need to remember Obadiah and that God put somebody right up under the nose of the king and queen that you're running from and right up under their noses he was so bold as to save all these prophets, a hundred prophets. Elijah, you're not alone. But when you get to that point, you better go open up that tool bag, look down in it and pull out the account and your interaction with Obadiah. And you better remember it. How differently would that have played out? When, when Elijah says, oh Lord, I'm the only one, they're trying to kill me, and I'm the only one left, I only I am left. How differently would that have been if he'd have gone to his knees in prayer and says, oh Lord, I don't see them. And I don't know their names. But I know that this land is full of Obadiahs that will hear of what we have done today through your power, and they'll be strengthened because of it. But he never does take that out. But the Lord is still merciful and the Lord still continues to provide for him and even uh, different, in a, in a way, more special ways. So the next time that I have an opportunity to preach to you, we're going to look at Elijah's big stand. We're going to look at how that played out. So, you know, many of you are familiar with it. 
Some of the younger ones may not be familiar with it or some, with it, or some of the new uh, people that maybe are new to reading the Bible may not be familiar with it, but it is an incredible, incredible display of boldness on Elijah's part, faithfulness on the Lord's part, and a great display of God's power over the kingdoms of this world. Because we've got a lot of people right now that are worshiping Baal. They just don't realize that's the name of who they're worshiping. And it is a powerful account. I hope today has been profitable to you. And I hope as the Lord prepares us in the circumstances of our life, the people that come in and out of our life, the, the encounters that we have, he's preparing us all with tools in a tool bag as well. Because as I said, I think the day is coming where we're going to have to take stands against the wickedness in this world that may cost us some things, that may make us feel alone, that may put us in the very same state Elijah's in. Well, don't make the same mistake he did. Keep that tool bag with you. Keep it close and go down in there and dig some of those things out to keep you from despair. Paul did that. You know, Paul said, hey, we're, we're cast down, but we're not destroyed. You know why? Because Paul had his tool bag and he was using it. Paul said, I'm cast down, but I'm not destroyed. Elijah was cast down and begging to be destroyed. Very different. Two different men there. Same tool, same tool bag. One of them used them and one of them didn't. I hope that that's been profitable to you this morning.